0: Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast, bridging the gap between Jewish leaders and those who follow them. Gain insight from Jewish professionals who make the decisions that influence your Jewish world. Welcome to It's Who You Know, the podcast. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. My guest today is Dr. Betsy Stone, who received her doctorate in psychology from Yale University. She is a psychologist and for the last 15 years has served as an adjunct lecturer at Hebrew Union College Jewish Institute of Religion. Her classes include human development for educators, adolescent development, and teens in and out of crisis. She also teaches a family education class in her synagogue, Temple Sinai of Stanford, for 6th and 7th graders and their parents. She is a Grin Spoon winner for her innovative approach to Jewish education and has recently been speaking on teen suicide issues, including three national webinars on 13 Reasons Why, and a national webinar for ARJE on working with adolescents and emerging adults. I had the pleasure of first meeting Betsy in 2011 when she led a session for HUC in teen development as part of a certificate program I was participating in. Recently, she led a session for JPRO New Jersey around values and I was reminded of what a wonderful teacher she is and what amazing insights she's able to draw from her participants. As we're in the midst of the holiday season, I thought it would be a good idea to do something a bit different with today's episode. This is an interactive exercise. So if you're running or commuting or cooking dinner, you can switch over to This American Life or the TED Radio Hour and wait until you have a good hour or so to sit for this reflective exercise. And then you're going to go to our website, www.itswhoyouknowthepodcast.com, and select the tab for 2018 episodes, where you will see Betsy's episode. In there, you'll find the resources you'll need to participate. I hope you'll find this engaging and resourceful in this time of reflection. Before we begin the exercise portion, I want to let Betsy introduce herself. Welcome to the program, Betsy. Thank you so much, Michelle.
1: This is a real treat for me particularly to be able to do this with you. I've known Michelle now for seven years, eight, I don't know. I have loved watching your professional growth and the changes that you've made in both your personal and professional life. I'm very blessed. So my journey... My journey is a journey with lots of beshared moments, moments where I thought I was going in one direction and the world pushed me or prodded me to go in a different direction. Many years ago, when Melissa Zalkin stolman asked me to teach in the certificate program for adolescents and emerging adults that was funded by the Jim Joseph Foundation, I said to her, I don't know anything about adolescence," And she said, oh, yes, you do. And that opened a part of my Jewish and psychological journey that I have really treasured. So I began to learn more about teenagers beyond that which I knew in my kishkas. I knew a lot in my kishkas. I didn't really know as much in my head. And through that experience, I have begun to think about the kinds of questions that we need to raise for our teenagers, for our adults. And I've begun to think about creating a Jewish frame around questions of mental health and relationship building. This is what I mean by that. I think very often that we as a culture, both as a Jewish community and as a greater American community, we think about adolescence as being relatively superficial. And our conversations with them are often relatively superficial. Maybe where do you want to go to college or what do you want to study? But they're not the big kinds of questions that, in my experience, adolescents struggle with. What do I mean? What about me matters in the world? Why am I here? Is there a God? I think adolescents are thinking about really deep thoughts. That's one idea. At the same time, I think adolescents are very often pulled apart from their parents, who at some points in our lives are great resources, and at other points in our lives we see as just irritants. Our culture suggests to adolescents that they can reject their parents, and at the same time, I think they are yearning for contact with adults. We know that relationships with adults are actually one of the great predictors of psychological health in adolescents. Knowing that adolescents are looking for deep-eyed questions and knowing that they need adults, I began to think about how I could work to strengthen the relationships between adolescents and their adults. That doesn't mean necessarily their parents. It could be their youth group advisors. It could be their teachers. It could be their friends' parents. And I began to think that our job in the Jewish community was to use Judaism as a bridge between adolescents and emerging adults and their adults. And I think that the most valuable way for us to do that is for us to use values, questions, to begin to give teenagers the opportunity to think about their own values. Because I believe that the more we think about our own values, the more we understand who we are as people and what we can do to make ourselves more comfortable with ourselves. My values are a way for me to understand who I am and to then begin to live a life which is consistent with those values. So I started working around issues of values. I started thinking about values as being a fluid aspect of our lives. And I began to think about how I could teach values, not just demonstrate them. So I began to teach a program in my own synagogue school that was for sixth and seventh graders and their parents that was around values clarification using the rubric of Torah text, using the Torah as a way to achieve a goal rather than the Torah being the actual goal. And for me personally and pedagogically, Torah is a guide and it is a guide not only to the way I live my life, but it is also a guide to who I am in the decisions that I make. I think that's how
0: I got to you. (laughs) Yes. (laughs) How you got to this moment here right now. (laughs) Right. right. Wonderful. And when you're kind of talking about teens and these big questions that they are thinking about and not really having the opportunity to explore them and what are the contexts where we allow for that? And that was, you know, my experience growing up with religious school and youth group and nifty events. And that was the place where we had these very deep conversations Around identity and around values and things like that. And I've explored on this program before the professional development aspect of our work. And sometimes it's, you know, you go to a conference to learn about planned giving or you sit around and talk about time management. Or there are some like hard skills, right? That I think when people think professional development, that's what they focus on instead of trying to think sometimes around some of those softer skills and some of those softer things that allowing people to have a platform to discuss and to think about that. I think, especially the high holidays, try and get us to do, right? (laughs) got to force us out of that to say, you know, what are those values? What did you do this year? How did you do it? Did you do it the best way that you felt like you could do it? Is there more that you could be doing, right? So thinking about how do we find that time to have those reflections and to make space for those conversations for adolescents as well as throughout the rest of your life, right? Trying to find those spaces to have that time.
1: Well, it's interesting, Michelle. I don't think we spend much time thinking about values. I think we are very busy living lives, which we believe to be laden with values. But I think that one of the really important questions we have to ask ourselves around our own personal values is what matters and what doesn't matter. It seems to me that very often we think that all of our values should be of equal importance. And some of our values, without question, are transitory. Some of our values are values that I have in certain circumstances and not in other circumstances. My values change when I'm exhausted. Mm -hmm. My values change depending on the quality of relationship that I'm in. So while I might say that I don't think it's good for adolescents to experiment with drugs and that I do believe that parents have to kind of team together and bond together to help kids in the it takes a village way would i report to a friend that i thought her kid was smoking pot as opposed to using heroin they're both drugs but there are qualities of intensity around values there are qualities of relationships around values and i have to think about what are my core values not just what are my grand values i think each of us has values that matter to us more than others that's fine.
0: And thinking about other people, you can't have every value and express it at all times, you know, everywhere, but also thinking about other people's values and understanding the context of those. And in the exercise, we'll see that a little bit of how people might be able to share that understanding with colleagues a little bit more of, you know, in work, I really value, you know, the way things are presented or work getting done on time, right? Maybe somebody values taking the time of processing a little bit more and making sure all the details are in order. And so really understanding the value priorities of others, I think helps your stress level probably <laughs> stay <laughs> in an appropriate place, but really will improve, you know, a lot of the relationships around you when saying, you know, these are my values and this is how I want to live my life and these are important and these are not important, and knowing that other people also have those same parameters and how they're moving forward.
1: Right. And in fact, I think that. When we surround ourselves with people whose values are identical to us, though I'm not sure that that's actually possible, what we do is we put ourselves in situations where our values remain unchallenged. That's easier, but not particularly productive. I think very often, and I'm not talking about values like I'm a Democrat or I'm a Republican or I'm pro-Trump or I'm anti-Trump or I'm pro-choice or I'm pro-life. I hate both of those. But the bigger values. I care about beauty in the world. I care about generosity. I care about intellectual pursuits. I don't have to care about all three of those in the way that you care about them. I can care about some of them more than others. And that difference allows me to teach you and you to teach me. And particularly in intimate relationships, those are opportunities for us to get closer. Because closeness happens, first of all, closeness happens over a long period of time. It's not a sudden event. You don't pick to be someone's friend and become their friend. Right. Facebook notwithstanding. Friendship, intimacy, those are parts of our lives that are built in centimeters, not meters. And if we're lucky, they keep being built. And one of the ways they get built is in discussing values that we may or may not share. So you may keep kosher and I may not, but there is some incredible intimacy that can happen around a conversation about why I live my life the way I live my life.
0: Right. I have that conversation. I'm a pescatarian. And so every time that, not every time that I eat, but oftentimes in an eating situation that comes up as a question, well, why? And, you know, being able to express, you know, that reasoning and for them to say, okay, like, cool. Sharing that with, you know, other people, it's something that always comes up in conversation that you wouldn't really talk about in any other, you know, context.
1: And Um, that's a beautiful example, actually, of a value that can change over your life. Right. So at some point you made a decision, a conscious decision, maybe, maybe not a conscious decision. But at some point you said to yourself, I'm going to define myself in a certain way. And having defined yourself in that way, that's shorthand for a set of values. Right. If you said, for example, I don't like meat, that would be a very different statement than I'm pescatarian because I don't like meat is a dietary preference as opposed to a value statement. And when we think of it as a value statement, then we're communicating all sorts of things about ourselves. If you presented it as, I don't like meat, it'd be in the same category as, I don't like green beans. It's not a depth statement, it's a habit statement. Mm. I brush my teeth in the morning, it's a habit statement. But when we begin to communicate about ourselves in terms of values, What we're doing is we're opening up the opportunity for somebody else then to respond to our values, Mm -hmm. to say, tell me why, as opposed to, oh, you don't like me? It leads us in a completely different direction. Values statements lead us towards greater intimacy.
0: Let's explore this a little bit more about what we mean when we say values, really understanding what that means. (laughs) I could give you
1: a dictionary definition of values, and it is that as a person's principles or standards of behavior, a person's judgment of what is important in life. So it sounds very highfalutin. I think that definition doesn't sound as fluid as values really are. Our values change in response to circumstances. They change in response to events in our lives. Things become more important to us that were less important to us and vice versa. So that my values this high holiday season are different than my values were last. Now, there are core values that don't really change for us. There are core parts of my personality that I think are really not particularly flexible. The VIA Institute, VIA, has an online questionnaire that you can do, and I bet Michelle is going to link it for us, that is a values questionnaire and you can get feedback on what your kind of basic characteristics are. And I think that probably the top five of those are pretty unchanging over time. Maybe your four moves to three and stuff like that. I think there are some things that are core and inbred and probably completely hardwired. There are other aspects of our value system that do change in response to circumstances. I think as we become parents, for example, our responses to children and the needs of children may actually accelerate for Mm -hmm. some of us. For others of us, it may make us more focused on my children rather than children writ large, so that my life circumstances impact my values. But at the same time, There are values which are relatively fixed over time. So for me, in my VIA survey, gratitude is consistently the thing that I respond to the most intensely. It is the one that matters the most to me. It doesn't have to matter to you. And I'm quite convinced it's not my husband's top one. And I think that that's not a coincidence. For those of us who are lucky enough to be in long and happy marriages, what we find is that your partner actually keeps challenging you and keeps being somebody that you learn from. That's a great right. thing.
0: This reminds me a lot of Shrinks Finder as well, of looking at, you know, it's not what you need to be working on. And it's not necessarily things that you would point to, you know, a poster and say, these are my strengths. It asks you seemingly random (laughs) questions. And they say, you know, it's, these are things that every day you wake up and you naturally are this thing, right? So one of my top ones, no matter how many times I take it is positivity, that it's not something I had to work on, that I had to, you know, get a master's degree in positivity, that There is something innate in me that that is a strength that I have as part of who I am that carries throughout the day. Now you could take the test six, seven, eight times and probably get different results, but there are some things that kind of mirror as far as your strengths and your values of things that are just kind of part of who you are. So let's parse,
1: if we could, for a minute, because I don't want to confuse people. Let's parse strengths and values. Strengths are those things which I naturally bring to the table. For you, it's positivity. For me, it's gratitude. It's interesting to me that those are so similar. The sense of being lucky and having things go the way I want, even given that we both know that sometimes the best answer to a prayer is no. (laughs) Those are strengths. Those are the things I can just naturally do. And I can change those by really focusing on them. For example, we know that people who keep gratitude journals become more grateful that people who make a conscious decision to focus on the good things that are happening in their lives become more positive. One of the exercises that people do for that is that they set an alarm on their phone to go off a certain number of times every day. And when the alarm goes off, you have to think of something that's good that's happening right then. That will increase your positivity. That is somewhat different than values because our values are in some sense, a judgment as opposed to a skill. My values are what really matters in life. Now, for me, there's a clearly some weaving together of my values and my strengths. What matters in life? What am I grateful for? Those two things have lots in common. But if what I said, if what I was hardwired to believe was really important in life was oh, intellectual fervor, if that was my value, Mm -hmm. I might have a very different kind of gratitude than if, for example, what I thought was really important in my life was the appreciation of beauty.
0: It almost seems like there's like the bookends, right? So you've got values that drive your behavior and your decisions, and then those skills are then the result of those actions and behaviors and decisions that you're making. They they
1: both are the result of, and they're the scaffolding for so I'm wrong. No, not wrong. So it really is the result of and the scaffolding for. So that those things which I value are supported by my strengths and then mm. also develop my strengths. It is actually much more circular. And for example, if one of the great values for me, not strengths, but values for me was relationship building. I might manifest my values in different ways. I might say, for example, that because I'm in relationship with you, I'm going to do these certain behaviors, but it's the relationship that drives me. So what's interesting about the strengths is strengths are in some sense, both the car and the road. Values are the goal.
0: Okay. Interesting. Much better metaphor than mine. (laughs)
1: So the values are both what I'm working towards and what I'm living, hopefully. And my strengths are how I get there. If you and I are both working on the same center of value, we can get to it in very different ways. Mm -hmm. So if I keep with my travel analogy, if I say I want to go to Denver, I could walk to Denver, I could drive to Denver, I could fly to Denver, I could take a train to Denver. If I end up in Denver, then I've done my values. How I get there has to do with my strengths.
0: You've been listening to It's Who You Know, the podcast. I'm your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Before returning to my conversation with Betsy, I'd like to take a moment to introduce you to the guest for our next podcast episode. Jerome Krakow, president and CEO of the JCC Association of North America discusses with me this model of Jewish engagement and how it might differ from other legacy organizations in its approach to building Jewish identity and community. Here is a clip from our upcoming conversation.
1: And I've discovered that there is virtually an unlimited amount of capital to be invested in doing good as it relates to the Jewish world. And so it is a re-envisioning of JCC Association's role
0: to not simply be coordinating and orchestrating and guiding efforts taking place in the field, but to fuel the evolution of the field through innovation and research and development. And I've spent much of these first 13 months in
1: consultation with probably at this point, three or four dozen major foundations, telling them what I shared with you earlier about the size and scope of our platform and asking whether they could see themselves becoming our partners in innovating. And not a single one has told me that they're not interested in doing precisely that.
0: Be sure to listen to the rest of my conversation with Daron in our next episode of It's Who You Know. But for now, back to Betsy. So how does this, I'm not asking you because I know that you're particularly involved in this, but how does this relate to the practice of Musar? Because I know it is very similar in sort of identifying particular things and working on them and being very mindful of those goals of being more X, Y, or Z.
1: I think the midot in Musar are more like strengths. I'm going to build this strength. And the goal is somehow a sense of personal wholeness. And one of the things that's really interesting to me in Musar, and I just finished leading a two-year Musar group, co-leading it with my rabbi. I think. So
0: you do know a lot about Musar. Fantastic. Uh, I know.
1: <laughs> one of the things that's interesting to me about Musar is that there are midot, which I read about and I think, I can't do that. Right. <laughs> that's not in my whale house. And there also are midot where I read about them and I say, oh, I can do that. That's not hard. Uh, well, That
0: sounds very similar to what we'll be kind of exploring, as you mentioned earlier, with, you know, some are more important to ourselves than others are. And that same being in your work and dealing with values and talking to people, is there a sense of value superseding? So I give money to the homeless guy on the corner and therefore I don't have to recycle. Right. Or is there a sense of, you know, because I have X, Y, Z value, I don't have to have abc value
1: well so human beings are incredibly good at justifying <laughs>
0: right <laughs> <ourselves>. <laughs> or i recycle so i don't have to give the homeless person money somebody, right. right
1: or i won't give money to him because i think he'll drink it right here's the thing with values they ought to stress us they ought to be hard right. I used to say I'm not giving to the homeless guy because I'm afraid he's just going to use it for things which I disapprove of as though my approval of it is relevant. Right. Or we could say I'm not giving money to the homeless guy because there's going to be another homeless guy.
0: Or Or that he's not going to do it because you didn't give him money. Right.
1: Or I could keep granola bars in my backpack and give out my granola bars until I don't have any more. If he doesn't want the granola bar, he doesn't have to eat it. This is a perfect example of competing values. I don't want to support his habits, whatever they are. But then I, of course, I'm presuming he has habits and that that's why he's homeless, which I don't have the right to do. But I do have the right to have my own values about how people should live their lives, which I can't impose on him. But at the same time, I can't ignore because my values matter. How do we juggle all those values at once? That should be a struggle. There's nothing wrong with that being a struggle. I have fallen back on the granola bars in my purse. That works for me. And I'll tell you a story that I told in my Musar class at one point when we were dealing with issues of gratitude, I think. I came out of the subway in New York City. There was a guy there, he said, you know, will you give me money? I said, I have a granola bar. He said, I'll take your granola bar and a twenty. <laughs> <laughs> and I was kind of pissed because I felt like he demeaned my granola bar. Right. But I don't have the right to tell him not to say that. So I had to kind of shake off the sense that Somehow my gift wasn't good enough. Well, I'm not giving him the gift to make me feel good. I'm giving him the gift because I feel an obligation to do that. And whether I give him $20 or 20 cents or just a granola bar, my obligation is still to give. But that may not be your obligation. And it doesn't have to be your obligation. Your obligations, your values are the things that you adopt. It raises the question in a holiday season, as we approach Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, of whether or not there are values that we choose to take on and what that would look like. And that has to be, what am I going to challenge myself with next? Giving the guy the granola bar is easy for me. At some level, I don't feel it at all. I only feel it in the, okay, I have to put my backpack down. I have to get it out. I have to remember to load my backpack with granola bars. I have to remember to buy granola bars. There's no real personal challenge for me in this, partly because I do it already. So what would be the next kind of personal challenge? I think the high holidays say to us, whatever you've done, could you do more? And it may not be around feeding the homeless, but could you do more? And what would that look like?
0: And this is every year, right? There's never going to be you where it's like, oh, you did your hands up. Good job. Like, <laughs> applaud right. to you. You hit the mark and you were amazing in every single one of your actions and you exemplified all the values there are and brava to you, right? Every right. single year, we ask these same questions of our actions and our values and how we go about our lives. So if we do that...
1: One of the things that's important about doing that is that it doesn't demonstrate a sense of failure. It demonstrates that I am capable, complex enough to keep pushing myself. And it's not that I have to come up with a new behavioral focus because I have failed. Mm -hmm. It's that I have to come up with a new behavioral focus, both because the world needs that, but even more so. And I think this is a lot of the message of the holidays, even more so because you need that. I need that. I need to push myself to be more Betsy, better Betsy, Mm -hmm. not, because there's some abstraction I have to achieve, but because there's some personal growth I have to achieve. And the only way I achieve that is by pushing.
0: Right. Or even revisiting, right? If there's something in your life where you think to yourself, gosh, when I was 25, I was so X, Y, or Z, you know, and thinking, oh, like, I I should really come back to being more like, you know, the Betsy I used to be, or, you know, the Michelle that I used to be. I, I think I've lost that a little bit. And I'd like to bring that back.
1: What the holidays ask us to do, I think in many ways, is to re-envision ourselves, not as a dramatically different person, but as a minorly different person, and then another minorly different person. Look, when we diet, we lose weight an ounce or a pound at a time. We would like to lose weight 10 pounds at a time, but we lose weight an ounce or a pound at a time. And human change happens that way. If you go on a crash diet and you lose 10 pounds in a week, you haven't lost 10 pounds. The next time you take a bite, you will put Mm them back on. So the point of this is to make change, personal change that's real change, as opposed to personal change that's temporary change. Change with roots, not necessarily with a huge canopy.
0: Well, so we're going to shift a little bit to the exercise portion. And part of this is going to help us kind of look at our own values and our organization's values and where those kind of align and where those might be a little bit off. And what, as Betsy has talked about a few times, what is really important and what is maybe a little less important. And if you enjoy this exercise, hopefully it's something you can bring back to your staff or to your office and be able to have these value type discussions with your team. If you haven't already, Pause the podcast, go to the website, or just Google making periodic table of benches comes up. And we're going to go ahead and take a look at this form for a little bit. And we'll give credit to Avi Orlo put this together. He was a guest of ours. So if you haven't heard from him, he talks a little bit about this chart in our interview and in our conversation. So you can go back and listen to that if you'd like, but obviously not necessary. So Betsy, tell us a little bit about what it is we're looking at.
1: What we are looking at is a table that was put together by Rabbi Avi Orlo at the Foundation for Jewish Camp. And it's based on some work that was done by Tiffany Schlein, who put together a periodic table of character strengths. But this is a Jewish one. And it's sorted by kind of big picture topics of wisdom, courage, honor, justice, moderation, and transcendence. Don't get caught up in the order or the Colors, that doesn't matter. We'd like to use this right now as an opportunity for you to begin to understand yourself a little better and your own values. So, read it over, notice the things that are very obvious to you that you respond to more and things that you respond to less. And what I'd like you to do right now is to put a star next to those character strengths that you think you are the best at. We're going to pause for a minute while you do that. Five of them. So the five that you are best at.
0: So go ahead and pause. Hopefully now you've done it. (laughs) We're back with Betsy. Go ahead.
1: Now what I'd like you to do is to put a check next to the ones that other people think you're best at or see in you. Again, five of them.
0: Right. this one's a little bit harder. Yes, because
1: you have to think about how people see you. For some people, it's difficult to come up with five. It's for some people, it's difficult to limit themselves to five. So we had a star next to the ones you were best at and a check next to the ones that other people see in you.
0: So do your best. Go ahead and pause.
1: And now I'd like you to put a dash next to the ones that you value the most. They may not be the ones you're best at. The ones that you value most are the ones that are most important to you And they may be very different from the ones you're best at. They may actually completely overlap with the ones you're best at. So take a moment, put a dash next to the ones that you value most. Again, five. All right, come back. Now what I'd like you to do is to put a square next to the ones you value least. It's really important for us to understand that some of the values that are large values out there in the world are things that don't matter to me at all. And it's, I think, actually very liberating to know that certain things aren't that important to me. So Michelle and I will differ on this. I'm not big on organization and order.
0: (laughs) Yes, we will differ. (laughs) (laughs) It's not
1: that important to me. It doesn't have to be important to me. I'm lucky. I'm married to somebody who is better at organization and order than I am. But it's not a value that I hold close to my heart. And it's okay to have values big values out there in the world that are not personal values. Mm -hmm. So put a square next to the five, or doing five each time, that you value the least.
0: And we talked about this before. I mean there's 43 values here. You know, you can't possibly embody all 43 all of the time.
1: You can't embody them all of the time and you can't care about them all of the time. Right. And it's actually quite liberating to say this is something that doesn't matter to me. And they will be very different for different people.
0: Wonderful. So we'll go ahead and pause and do the best you can figuring those out.
1: Okay. Last one. I'd like you to put a heart. This probably shouldn't be a heart, but I'd like you to put a heart next to the one that your work setting values, the five that your work setting values. So it will come as no surprise to you that for most of us, our work setting values, for example, organization and order. One of the interesting things for me in my teaching, particularly in my synagogue, is that they have come to understand that organization and order are not great skills for me, and that if I'm in a setting where those are really high values, that I need support around those. So if you want me personally to teach by a curriculum, which is surely organization and order, I will not do my best work because I do my best work when I get tangential. Because that's the way my brain works and that's what I value. So I want you to think about, put a heart next to the ones that your work setting values, whether or not they're the same values as yours and take a pause. So we've given you five. You put a star next to the ones you were best at, a dash next to the ones you value the most, a square next to the ones you value the least, a check next to the ones that other people see in you, and a heart next to the ones that you're setting values. And you did five of each of those, so you should have 25 marks. And what I'd like you to do now is to look at them and try to figure out how they cluster. Do your values, your personal values, the ones that you're best at, or the ones that matter the most to you, are they in certain clumps of color or do they hang together? So for example, if kindness, loyalty, and leadership were three of the ones that you feel you're best at, you clearly fit in that category that is headed, the pink category that's headed by decency and social intelligence. If those are your greatest values, And your work setting's greatest values fall in that blue category of moderation. How do they hang together? How does honor hang together with moderation? I'm not saying that they don't. Hmm. I'm saying that it's important for us to think about how we fit in the places that we find ourselves. Do you bring something to your work setting that is valued within your work setting? Are the things that matter to you Or better yet, are the things that don't matter to you really important to other people about you? Or even, do other people see things in you that you don't see in yourself? I'll give you an example of this. I am a person who acts very quickly. I am truly impatient when I have a task to do for myself. You give me a job to do, I want to do it, and I want to get it off my plate. I'm extremely patient with children. I am not extremely patient with adults. So people who see me work in my work with adolescents would probably say I'm patient. I'm not patient, <laughs> I'm not patient at all. Well, you
0: mentioned this before when we were talking about values that it's fluid, right? Depending on the situation, are you hungry, are you tired? How much compassion do you have for, you know, right. your husband who needs you to do something silly?
1: How does how people see me jibe with how I see myself, mm-hmm. how I present myself, and the values that I try to build at this time of year? If, for example, I said, I want to be more patient, for me, that would be really challenging. Other people might not know how challenging it is. That dichotomy between self-knowledge and the perception of other people really an interesting juggling dance that we have to all engage in.
0: And you might have to look up some of these values, right, to really understand, well, what does righteousness mean? Like, how do I think about that as a value that's expressed in the world? And how is that different from justice, from social responsibility, from some of the other values that are listed here? Maybe spend a little bit of time with some of these that, you know, maybe elude you a little bit to really understand what it is that that value is talking about.
1: Right. And what it would look like in you, which is different than what it would look like in the person sitting next to you. So my expression of piety might be very different than your expression of piety. My expression of modesty might be very different than yours. My expression of confidence might be very different than yours. For example, I could express confidence by saying, I don't care about organization and order. That is an expression of confidence. It's also an expression of failure.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Not in the worst sense.
1: (laughs) I mean, I'm both saying I don't care about it and I'm saying at some level I can't do it. And that's okay.
0: Right. And therefore it doesn't provide a negative pressure on you to try and hold that as important when that's not something that you hold as important. Bingo. And I think what's interesting when you do this in a group, especially within colleagues of the same organization, to share and understand and look at what did we think were our organization's values? Are they all the same? Have we communicated properly to our staff what our organization values are? Are they all very different? Is it across the board? How does the leadership of the organization or you personally feel about the connection between not only your own values and your organizations, but how all these varying employees with all their varying values and perceptions perceive the values of the organization to be?
1: Yes, absolutely. And as part of that, it gives us the opportunity. If I see you as having a certain set of values, I can encourage those, strengthen those, reward those, as opposed to saying, Well, I know you're organized, so let's move on from that.
0: Right. What
1: we're much more inclined to do is to say, I know you have these skills, I know you have these values, I know you have these abilities, but you can't do X. And that doesn't reward anything. The way we reward values is by acknowledging that they exist in other people and that they add to the quilt of the organization's life. Mm -hmm. It can't be that everyone within the organization or everyone within the family or everyone within the friend group has the same set of values and skills because then there's no growth. It's important that different people on an athletic team have different skills Mm -hmm. right it's important that the violin doesn't sound the same as the flute in a symphony and we need to find ways to value the strings and the reeds not the strings or the reeds
0: or understand you could be an amazing string player but you can't pick up a reed instrument (laughs) and play in the same way someone else could right
1: absolutely absolutely i think the worst mistake we make is to say this is the way it ought to be as opposed to this is a way to approach the world So we have to find ways to make sure that we support all of the it ought to be's, which means all of the strengths that Rabbi Orlo has given us.
0: That's hard to do. And I think it takes time and experience to come to a place in any professional career where you're okay with, especially when somebody, you know, if you move up in a position and someone takes over for your position, your old position, say, you know, you're doing it in the way that you are expressing doing this position. And I might have done it some other different way, but it's okay that you do it this way and I would have done it that way and we're both getting to Denver. So that's right.
1: exactly. exactly. And if I get to Denver faster or you get to Denver faster or I get to Denver better or you get to right. Denver better, we both add to the mix. And that's the really important part. Now, at some level, what I'm saying there is a very core value for me. And I can't live in the world separate from my values because we really can't do that. So at some level, there is a value that I'm articulating, whether it's a value of justice or a value of wisdom or a value of honor There's some value that I'm articulating by saying, and that you're articulating as well by saying, we have to trust that the other's approach is also good and also honorable. Now, others might not share that value, but values matter because they are both an access point for me into me and for me out of me. You know, this time of year is about both of those. It's about finding ways to marry me into me and me out of me. What do I have to learn about who I am in the world? And what do I have to learn about what the world is with and without me? So that in some very important sense, what our values do is they give us the opportunity to self-study and other study. To learn myself as who I am now, which is different than who I'm going to be in 10 minutes. And to live a life which is full of values is to live a life which is full of challenge. And I can't imagine another kind of life. So if I come back in some sense full circle to Melissa Zalkin stolman asked me to teach this class and I said, I don't know anything about it. It's in the challenge that life opens up for us. Right. It's in the challenge that we find ourselves and learn about ourselves and push ourselves and decide what's worth it and what's not worth it.
0: And it's these kind of exercises that kind of help you understand a little bit more when you really take that 30, 40 minutes to think about what is really important to me? How do other people see me? What is not (laughs) important to me? And am I working in a place that I can articulate the values that they are trying to produce?
1: Right. And perceives my values as being worthy, even if they're not the core organizational values. So I think one of the other interesting things to do with this making Mench's periodic table is to do it as an institution and to try to pick as an institution the top five, the top seven, whatever. It's hard to do. But to say, who are we organizationally? Who are we as a family? Understanding that some of that is driven by circumstance and time. And some of that is driven by some really core, deeply core, unchanging values. There is a lot you can do with that Making Menches Periodic Table besides reading it. It will give you insight into both who you are and where you are in your life and in your relationships and have at it.
0: Yeah, wonderful. Well, we have some resources on your blog post. There's a wonderful video from an organization called Let It Ripple that kind of walks you through a little bit about values and characteristics and things like that. And we'll have a link to the VIA Institute for that value survey as well. And any other resources Betsy decides to share with us will be up there. (laughs) If you want to do these kind of exercises with your staff or with your family or with yourself again next year, all of those things are available to you. So Betsy, thank you so much for sharing your insight and this exercise with us and just really appreciate it.
1: Thank you, Michelle. I love getting the opportunity to see, you be with you and work with you
0: again. Wonderful. Well, have a fantastic holiday.
1: Thank you. And happy, healthy new year. I hope that the year brings you, I know that the year will bring you (laughs) challenges and responsibilities and enough difficulty that it gives you the opportunity to grow.
0: Thank you, Betsy. Thanks. Values are a thing we talk a lot about in our work. Some organizations have stated specific values, while others have more of a general idea of values that guide their work. At this time of reflection, Betsy and I are asking you to take a deep dive into what values mean to you, given some parameters of what the word value even means, what is that thing, and an exercise in how to categorize those values and think about your values. Ask yourself how those values play out in the real world. Does your organization truly embody the values it totes? And if not, what would need to change to bring those values to the forefront? Do your personal values align with those in the organization? In doing this exercise with your staff, would they all agree on what your organization's top five values are? Would they be different? Why might that be? For you personally, What values can you let go of and worry a little less about as you allow yourself to embody those values that mean the most to you? I'm leaving you with a few more questions than answers, many more things to reflect upon than concluding remarks to take with you on your way. The last thing I'll say is that it's important to take time to think deeply about why you are involved in a Jewish organization and what that says about the things you value. Chag Sameach. This program has been funded in part by Jim Joseph Foundation. Our editor is Nick Bowden of Bowden Sound and our fiscal sponsor is Jewish Creativity International. You can find previous episodes, guest bios, podcast articles, how to start your own podcast, and more on our website. It's com. This is your host, Michelle W. Malkin. Thank you for listening. Hope you have a wonderful week and a reflective and rejuvenating High Holiday season.